Tonight's Bible reading comes from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through to 23. You can find it on page 954 of the Bibles in front of you, or it will be on the screen. So Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come, The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head and from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks, Austin. Uh, Friends, we're in uh, week four of our Captivated series, so if you're new here, look to my right, Captivated, look to my left, By Christ, which is our theme right through the book of Colossians. And today we're looking at the theme of walking in Christ. Now, our society, if you go out into the society, you'll notice it's multiracial, it's multi-ethnic, it's multicultural, it's multi-faith. It's a lot of multis, right? We are a wide variety of groups of people who uh, live differently, believe different things, and so on. Everyone promotes their own religious rules and regulations, normally as a way to impress God, hoping if you do all these things, you might make God happy and he might let you into his heaven. There are also alternative religions, You may go to the New Age Mind, Body and Spirit Festival at Darling Harbour to find spiritual enlightenment. You could go from one guru to another, go from someone with their crystals and someone with their herbs, whatever, to find true meaning and fulfilment in life. If you strolled around the streets of Colossae, 
and that's in a place in modern-day Turkey in the first century, you go into the marketplace, again you would encounter a mix of races and religious beliefs, a bit like ours. There would be Jews, there would be Greek, mystery religions, variety of cults and religious philosophies, as well as Christians. The problems why Paul writes to Colossae and to the Colossian Christians is there are false teachers now trying to infiltrate the church and say to the believers that, as we've seen the last few weeks, that you have a misunderstanding of Jesus and we have new knowledge or new instruction that will help you be better Christians or authentic Christians. So what is this Colossian heresy like? What is it uh, that they are teaching? Now, firstly, let me say, it doesn't seem to be a well-formed uh, heresy at this stage. Heresy refers to false teaching, something that deviates from the truth. But let me give you an example of the types of things that are being said by these false teachers. Firstly, they had an inadequate view of Christ. We've seen that. Paul uh, stresses the supremacy of Christ. It included Jewish elements, talking about eating and drinking, religious festivals, and there's a reference to circumcision. We'll come to that later. They had strict ascetic rules, harsh treatment of the body. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Treat your body harshly to try and get control of it so you'll become more spiritual. They seem to be pushing that agenda. There's angel worship in chapter 2, verse 18. They're not worshipping God, they're worshipping angels. They believe that they had a, or gained a secret knowledge, chapter 2, verse 18. They think they know something the rest of the Christians don't that elevates them to a new spiritual level. That leads to arrogance rather than humility. And they relied on human wisdom and traditions, chapter 2, verse 4, and chapter uh, 2, verse 8. And Paul is saying, don't listen to the traditions, listen to God's word. So what does he say? In light of these pressures, and you may be feeling these pressures today, living in Australia in the 21st century, what must you do? He says, we must continue to live in the Christ we have received. We must continue to live in the Christ we have received. We called this sermon today, Walking in Christ. Because the expression uh, in the Greek, which is translated, continue to live in the Christ you have believed in, means literally walk in Christ. In other words, walk according to his word, or according to his truth. Follow Christ closely and do what he says. In other words, when you have all these other ideas and philosophies, stick with Christ. That's the advice. Chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 is the crux of this whole letter. It says, stick with Christ. Don't let anyone uh, set you apart. We saw a couple of weeks ago that Christ is the creator of all, the ruler of the living and the dead. He is supreme Lord. He is sufficient Savior. Remember that? He is the Lord over all. He creates it. He sustains the world. He's in charge over all authorities and powers. But we also saw he was sufficient Savior. Through the cross, he reconciled the world to himself. So we don't move from that. We stick with that because that's who Christ is. But you don't just receive the gospel and sit as what I call a spiritual blob. Oh, yeah, I'm saved now. You know, I'm going to heaven. It's all good. No, no, no. You get up and you continue to live in Christ. You continue to grow in Christ. And uh, the older you become, the more you should be becoming more like Jesus, walking in him. And he says, like a strongly rooted tree. Christian faith, you shouldn't be this little, little plant that the wind just pushes, pushes aside. You should be deep and solid in your faith, like a strongly rooted tree or a firmly founded building. The earthquake comes, it doesn't knock it over. Right? Strong in Christ with thankfulness as the overflow for the gospel. Continue 
Be strong, solid, don't let anything move you, and be thankful. Develop a gratitude attitude. One of the signs that I know that someone is in Christ, that someone really knows the gospel, is they're captivated by Christ. And they can't help but give thanks to God. They just have their special moments aside and you just uh, out in the open air and you see, you see the beautiful sunset and you think, God, you're so good. You're able to spend some time with a family member and pray for someone. And you think, God, this is amazing to know you, God. God answers your prayer and you think, God, there's nothing like being a child of God. God, this is just overwhelming. God, I know you. God, I'm saved by you. God, I'm transformed by you. God, there's nothing in the world that I prefer but you. And it leads to a gratitude attitude. Uh, when I became a Christian at the age of 14 and a half, I think I was, I was in year 10, middle of year 10, and uh, we got a, my first Bible was a Good News Bible. And, uh, and I still remember it. Uh, we used to uh, highlight passages in the Bible. The guy who led me to Christ was a primary school teacher, and he taught us. So if we had passages in the Bible related to spiritual growth, we would colour those in green, right? Grass grows. If it was about eternal life in heaven, we would colour it in yellow. So our Bibles were full of coloured sections so to help us remember God's Word. And if we weren't sure when to turn and we're struggling, we open up our Bibles. We can go to something, if it was in red, guess what that would be? The blood of Christ, right? So any passages about the cross and the suffering of Christ, it would be in red. So we could go there. I'm not sure that God loves me. I can open up my Bible and, and remember that Christ died for me on that cross so that I could be reconciled to God. And I still remember where it was. You know how significant it is? I'd open up my Bible. I can tell you now, it's on the right-hand side. If I open up my Bible, Colossians 2, my Good News Bible's on the right-hand side. And there were two columns on the right-hand side, as Bibles have. I know it was on the inside column, about halfway down. We need to know the Word of God like that. We need to know. Sometimes you don't know where it is, but you highlight it in your Bible, all these key things, the right little texts. So when you open up your word, the Word of God, you know uh, what it says and where it is. But you see, I had the Bible and I was changed by Christ and I, uh, I was born in a Greek Orthodox family, which was sort of not religious, my family at all. I was a religious one. But as I come to know Christ and the Bible, it was, so, it was like eye-opening. It was like my life has been transformed. But then people tried to tell me what I had wasn't enough. Someone told me I should pray to Mary and the saints for help. The Jehovah's Witnesses would knock on my doorbell and tell me that Jesus was a created being. He wasn't God. The Muslims told me that Christ did not die on the cross. People told me that I needed to be baptised in the Spirit and speak in other tongues, then I would really be a, a genuine, strong Christian. Other people told me that the NIV version wasn't good enough. I needed to read the King James Version of the Bible. That's the only true Bible. Anyone had that encounter? And uh, other people told me I needed to have a mentor, someone to meet with. If I didn't have a mentor, I wouldn't grow spiritually. People told me that if I didn't worship God on the Saturday, I would miss out on heaven. They told me that Sunday worship was the mark of the beast, the sign of the Antichrist. We're all in trouble, right? And people told me often that I should be baptised in their church to be saved. People were throwing all these ideas at me. But I had to continue in Christ, strong, solid. I have everything I need in Jesus. The Sydney Church of Christ was a cult-like group active in the 1980s and 1990s, university campuses in Sydney and uh, railway stations, suburbs in the area, and the church is still going. It's not your normal Churches of Christ denomination. It's a separate group. And what they used to do is they try and uh, hit university-age students 
And they would say to them, once they were convicted of the gospel, that you need to move out of your homes with your families. So they would all move out of their family homes and live in group homes so they could have someone who would disciple them in their home. It was control, it was manipulation rather than good discipling. And these guys made up rules. You see, if you're part of this group, if you're really genuine, they made up these rules. You had to go out about four or five hours a week to do evangelism. Railway stations, standing out, handing out invitations to Bible study discussion groups. Going to university campuses, handing out invitations. I had some friends caught up in this and I thought, well, how do we get them out of here? So I turned up uh, to one of their church services back in Balmain, it was then. And um, the singing was good. They didn't have any instruments. They just sang a cappella. That left us for dead, really. <laughs> the whole place was singing, erupting praises to God. And then the sermon was pretty good too. It was based on the Bible and it explained the Bible and how to live for Jesus. And then a guy came to me afterwards because they were looking for the new people like me. And I said, what did you think? I said, yeah, it's pretty good. I love the singing and the Bible is really solid. They're going, well, um, didn't you notice anything special? I said, no, not really. Really disappointed him. Because <laughs> he wanted me to say, wow, I've just found the truth. Only in your church can I find Jesus. I said, no, you can, I can hear that type of preaching all over Sydney. I can go to hundreds and hundreds of churches just teaching from the Bible. And then they wanted me to be baptised to be saved. It wasn't enough to have faith in Jesus. They also taught what's called baptismal regeneration, a bit like the Catholic and Orthodox churches do. Unless you're baptized, then you're not saved. They thought they were the truth. It was a sad situation because a few years later, the church imploded. Leaders from overseas came and they were, they were abusing their leaders who were working so hard for Jesus because they didn't evangelize enough. The church wasn't growing quickly enough. Power, control, manipulation, false humility that led to the destruction of that group. Many people left at that stage. We had a number of people who came and joined us here at Nawi Baptist as well. People kept telling me there's something missing in my life. Let me tell you something from 2 Peter chapter 1. When someone says to you that Jesus is not enough, it says, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Saved, empowered, equipped by Jesus to live for him. And then Paul then says, having reminded them to just to keep going, he warns them, don't return to slavery, he says. Don't let anyone kidnap you. Be captivated by Christ. Don't let the false teachers take you captive and lead you into a, state, a situation of being kidnapped from the truth. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human traditions and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. What does it mean by philosophy in this situation? David Garland is a New Testament scholar. He says the term philosophy had a broader meaning in the ancient world than it does in ours. It could refer to all sorts of groups, tendencies and points of view, including magical practices. Paul describes the philosophy in terms of religious practices, such as eating and drinking and observing festivals and Sabbaths. The word religion is probably a more suitable translation for us. He says, don't believe those who depend on human tradition and the wisdom of this world. Don't get kidnapped. Listen to God. Don't listen to the nonsense. Then he encourages them with these truths. He says, number one, you have fullness in Christ. People saying you don't have enough in Jesus. No, no, you have fullness in Christ, verses 9 and 10. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. 
And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In chapter 1 verse 19, we heard that Jesus has all the fullness of the deity in him. Jesus is fully God. Someone asked you about Jesus. He is fully God. He is also fully man upon the earth, right? But some people of the day, I see this on the screen, believe that between God, imagine God's here, and human beings are here, humankind. Between God and us, there are a hierarchy of intermediary angelic beings who possessed dashes of divine attributes. In other words, they weren't fully God. And that was teaching that Jesus was just in there somewhere, just like one of those angels. He wasn't the fullness of God. He wasn't fully God. And they said, he's just like one of those. Paul said, no, no, Jesus is fully God. All of the Godhead dwells in him. And he is head over every power and every authority. He is controlling, uh, he has power over demons and Satan and any opposing forces. He is the authority. Which means for us, because he is the fullness, we also have fullness in him, he says. In other words, we are complete in him. We are fulfilled in him. Don't go elsewhere. So if I were to come to you one day, preaching, maybe next week or the following week, and I start quoting from the Book of Mormon, or I start quoting from the Quran to give you instruction on how to live, or I, I simply make up church traditions and share them with you, or I bring you the Gratsuna's prophecy, God gives me a new word, or legalistic rules and regulations, or I reveal, I suppose, secret to a new level of spirituality, and I just say, just listen here, guys, I've just found it. God just told me. No one else knows this. But if you just listen in, this will change your life. If I come talking to you like that, I expect you to say, Ange, shut up, sit down. Have you lost it? Are you tired? Are you stressed? You don't need to see mental health experts? Or what is it? Maybe you need a holiday. If I don't base what I teach on the word, you ought to call me out. Friends, about 15 or 20 years ago, at the Mortal Oatley Baptist Church, I'll name the church because it's just down the street, the pastor, who was a Christian, started to move from Jesus. And as the church members were listening to him, the church leaders were hearing him, thinking, he's sounding like a Jew, not like a Christian in his sermons. So I preached from the Old Testament. And so they challenged him on and said, what's going on? You seem to have moved from Jesus, believe some lies, and go back to the Old Testament traditions that Paul warns against here. They ended up having to sack him because he had become a Jew and had to move him out of the church. That's what you ought to do if one of your pastors or leaders move you from the truth of the gospel. Paul says we have fullness in Christ. But we also have fellowship with Christ. In him you also circumcise with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Now it's not a physical circumcision. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, which you also were raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Paul says, remember your baptism? You were buried, you came out. It's an identification with Jesus. You now have a fellowship with Christ. You have a relationship with Christ. Remember that? And remember, it's the inner purification that matters. It's not the external circumcision. It's the inner circumcision that really matters, that God does for us. 
Because of that, you have fellowship with Christ, but more, you have freedom through Christ. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Great news. Having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Three things he wants to tell us here. Number one, in the past we were dead in our sins, in the uncircumcision of our sinful nature. We were sinners, rebels, under God's judgment, but God saved us, forgave us. Secondly, he did this this by cancelling, this is a strange expression here, the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Now the ESV version puts it this way, I think it's a little bit better, by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. What Paul is doing, he's taking a business term, meaning a certificate of indebtedness in a debtor's handwriting. It's what we might call an IOU to acknowledge an obligation to pay a debt. You owe someone and you write them a note, I owe this to you. The debt to obey God and honour him. But we both fail, Jews and Gentiles, we can never pay off the debt and we're in terrible trouble. Imagine for a moment, uh, you may have heard of the billionaire Rupert Murdoch. Imagine he lends me $20 million. And I use the $20 million, but I write an IOU, I'm in debt to him, that's what I owe him. I then lose all the money in the bad business deal, and I can't pay him back, so rather than taking me to court to get all the money, or putting me into prison, because that's what I deserve, he picks up the IOU, and in front of me he says, Ange, because I care about you, I'm going to rip it up, and I wipe out the debt of your $20 million. You don't have to pay me, and I'm set free. In a much more profound way, God takes our debt with all our sins and all of our failures that we can't keep, and he takes them to the cross and he nails them to the cross. He says, done, paid for in the blood of Jesus. And third, he says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus is so supreme and so sufficient as a saviour, he uses the image of war. When in the first century the people would go to war and you had a victory against another city, another town, what you would do, if, say you're the Romans, you've won, you would march the enemy soldiers back into your city. And when you march them back into your city, you've taken all their weapons away, you've taken pretty much all their clothes away. They're weak, they're broken, they're miserable, you haven't fed them, you haven't given them drinks, you just march them through in chains. So all your people cheer on. So go, mighty is Rome, mighty is Rome. As these weak, defeated enemies walk past. That's the picture here. God has so defeated Satan and his enemies that he has made a public spectacle of them, he says. They have no power over him or us. Friends, let me say that as we finish this second point, that true freedom, spiritual freedom, does not come from some new exotic teaching, meditating on a mountain in India or Nepal, wherever you want to go, gazing at a crystal, following religious rules and regulations and maybe in a church. True freedom was won for all God's people through the cross. It's been won. It's all done. We have fullness in Christ. We have fellowship with Christ. We have freedom through Christ. But Paul is not finished. He goes a little bit further here. He said, we must refuse the threat to our faith, 16 to 23. 
It said, second warning, let no one condemn you. Let no one condemn you. People will say, no, you're not spiritual enough. You're not Christian. You need this, you need that. No, don't listen to them. Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. Listen to this. These are shadows of the things that were to come. The reality is found in Christ. In other words, if they're taking you back to the Old Testament, like the past that Mordoli went to, back to the Old Testament that was pointing forward to Jesus, don't let them judge you. Reject them. Stand true to Christ. Don't go back to the shadows. Richard Chin has written a book called Captivated by Christ, where we got this theme from. And he tells a story in the Pacific Islands, um, in some university ministry. There was an evangelical group, and just like the EU's at Sydney University or other Christian groups on campuses, but on this campus, some really radical Seventh-day Adventists came into the group. And some of the radical aspects of Seventh-day Adventists, by the way, some of them are more mainline evangelical now, but some of them are really still quite radical. They convinced the Christians that if they don't worship on the Saturday, and if they don't eat certain foods prescribed in the Old Testament, then they will not be saved. And their influence convinced a whole bunch of Christians to leave the, uh, the evangelical church and join the Seventh-day Adventists. They were now putting their confidence in what they ate and what day they worshipped in, except rather than Jesus and his salvation. Paul says, don't let that happen to you. Warning through, let no one disqualify you. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with the idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom, that's Christ, from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Friends, let me warn you, some of the, the worst false teachers sound really spiritual, really wise. They think, oh man, I met them. It's amazing what they know. They just know the word of God and they, they, the way they talk. I've never had anyone talk like that before. There is a false humility, Paul says. They pretend to be humble, but they're not. They're trying to gain control of you, he says. And some of these people worship angels, right, in this first century. I don't know if people do that today who are so-called Christians, but they did worship angels. And they go into great detail about what they have seen. They talk about visions. They say, well, I saw this and God told me this. You should listen to me. Be very careful today. Someone comes to you and says, well, uh, oh, I'm so close to God. I was in a, in a trance and, and I was praying and God gave me this vision about the future and God told me what I was going to do with my life and, and God told me something for you as well. When people start talking like that, we're in dangerous territory. A number of people have told me visions that they've received. Most of them never came true, by the way. But it's a temptation to think when you know things, much more spiritual than you. Just listen to me. I'm the guru, spiritual guru. One of the things I worry about a lot of the mentoring work that happens around the world at the moment, so a coach or a mentor becomes the guru. And people say, oh, well, you know, I have this mentor. I said, I don't really care that much. And they tell me there's some value in your mentors and your coaches. But sometimes people become dependent on their coaches or their mentors. And their mentors speak into their lives. And if you don't listen to them, you get into trouble. Pride. Hold fast to Christ. But also don't allow false wisdom to make the rules, finally. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual force of this world, we don't listen to the world any longer. Why 
as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? And in this situation, they said, don't handle, don't taste, uh, don't touch. They were asking people to restrict themselves from certain habits and certain behaviours. They were making new rules that were not in the Bible. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. It's not from the Scriptures. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility. Notice that again. Worship, false humility, their harsh treatment of the body. They lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Sometimes people think we'll become more spiritual by punishing their bodies. I don't know if anyone's ever done that. I'm going to fast four times a week. I'm going to exercise. I'm, I'm not going to eat I'm not, no coffee or no good food. I'm just going to just eat vegetables. I'm, I'm just going to do something that, in a sense, punish my body so I become more like Jesus. He said, no, 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 that doesn't work that way. Now, people, Christians in the past, monks often do that. They go into monasteries and others go, go and live in a, in a, on, a, on a rock on the end of somewhere in Greece on some island because they think by develop an ascetic life, they'll become more spiritual. What Paul says is that's not going to work. There's no value in restraining sensual indulgence. And all of us uh, make various rules to assist us to live Christianly. Let me take you to something that uh, Chuck Swindoll wrote in his book, The Grace Awakening. He said, all of us in church, this is where we need to be careful, I'll be careful what I say, what I don't say. I'll probably get it wrong. There are certain rules come out of the scriptures, principles, that we then create rules and we almost put them on the same level as the scriptures, even though they're not in the scriptures. So we have to be careful. So Chuck Swindoll in America said, in the past, churches made up all these rules. Let me uh, take you to some of them. The aim was to make us more holy, to restrict us, don't eat, don't touch, don't go there. But we need to be very careful because they can become very restrictive. In the past, so you young people wouldn't believe this at all, some of us growing up in Christian families, a bit even older than me, you were not allowed to go to the movies or the theatre. I've older people in this church, no, you don't go there. Movies or theatre, because you see evil things, uh, bad language, uh, immoral situations. You don't want to bring them home. You don't wear cosmetics, makeup. Yeah, you guys are okay, none of you wear makeup here, very often. Um, don't play cards. Why not play cards? You know, playing Uno recently or something else? Because, you see, cards were associated with gambling. See, so, um, what I'm saying is there are real reasons why they brought these rules in, because the only people who used cards were, were spending their money in poker games. Don't watch television, again, don't go to the beach. Too many sort of people not wearing very much. Don't wear bikinis was one of the things on this list. A fast once a week. Or have a quiet time every morning, at least every day. That's a good principle. But some people were brought up with this motto, Bible before breakfast. Can't have your breakfast unless you read your Bible first. Now, that's a good principle, right? But if you make that a law and you judge people by that, because some people are better at reading their Bibles after they've had breakfast, or at least a coffee, right? Amen? <laughs> Or at lunchtime or in the evening. Because if you read it before that, you don't remember anything. But if you've got to be careful what your laws are. Or don't drink alcohol. Or don't wear certain clothing. Or don't drive certain cars. Or don't listen to certain music. Or don't dance. You may not know you young people, but in the old days, Baptists, we were known as non-dancers. Now, some of us can't dance very well anyway. And it's probably why we didn't dance. But see, Baptists sometimes had rules. We, we had restrictive rules like that. I can't dance, can't do that. 
We ran a, a bush dance once at uh, Dulwichill Baptist. The church wasn't allowed to have dancers in the hall. So we ran a Western night. We didn't tell the pastor that we're dancing, doing bush dances in the middle of it, but don't, I confess my sin, okay? But we were, we're trying to get around rules and regulations that we set up for ourselves. Good intention. Or don't wear your hair a certain way, assuming you have hair. Um, don't get a facelift. One of the rules was don't drink coffee. Coffee is a drug. We don't do drugs, we're Christians. We trust in Jesus, right? We're all failed on that one. Except for Robin Garlic, I think. She's the only one who has milkshakes. I think a couple of us on our pastor team, we go out and there's just milkshakes and a few of us have coffees. Don't eat meat on Fridays. And that was a Catholic thing, don't eat meat Fridays. And then there was things like don't wear leotards. Well, we can, well let's not go to women's clothing today. Right? All different rules and regulations thinking that we would be more holy and more godly in that. All with good intentions, but if you elevate them to the word of God and judge people by those things, you go beyond Christ. So what do we do? Paul says, there's going to be pressures, there's going to be temptations. Don't let anyone judge you by things that are not in the scriptures. Focus on the gospel just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord. Continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith that you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. All else is nonsense. Don't add to Christ. Amen. Let me pray. Lord God, it is our prayer that you would help us to walk in Christ to walk trusting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross for our salvation, to worship Christ as the supreme Lord and the sufficient Saviour, to be thankful that Christ has defeated the enemy and has shown his victory over Satan and his evil forces. We thank you that Christ, through his death, has paid our debt. We thank you that we are now filled with the Holy Spirit to live this new life. And Lord, when people want to move us away from the gospel, help us to go deep in the gospel, deep in your word, like a strong house built or a strong tree in place that we are not moved from what we believe. But Lord, help us to live holy, transformed lives. Without, we don't like rules and regulations. We ask, Lord God, that we would, in, in an attitude of thanksgiving with a gratitude attitude, Allow our lives to be transformed by your word and your truth, that we would walk like Jesus, speak like Jesus, think like Jesus, act like Jesus. To the glory of God we pray. Amen.